So I'm glad you're here. Um, I, found, uh, I found something in the Gomorrah that really touched me. Um, and uh, I'll just tell you how I found it, because um, it, it, it's based on something that I heard from, from my teacher, Rav Shlomo Karlach, uh, many years ago, maybe about 20 years ago. It was Rosh Hashanah, and he announced to everyone who was there, he said that starting this year, everyone should walk around with a book, like a Torah book, Where, wherever you go. You should always have one. And I've tried to do that. Don't always succeed, but I've tried to do that. And the truth is, is that sometimes you find yourself online at certain places or in a, a, a waiting room of a doctor's office or whatever it is. And if you have a, a, a book with you, you, you'd be amazed at what you can learn, what will come down there. Some of the most important things I've learned have been in those places. And um, what we're going to do today is something that came from... Uh, a Gomorrah that I found while I was uh, waiting for a doctor's appointment. <laughs> so, and I never would have seen this otherwise. So, or anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to have seen it and, and I'm excited to share it with you. Um, before I mention that, though, I, I'll tell you a teaching on a related subject that I also heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of um, Rebbe Nachman of Breslov, which, um, which is sort of like the next step, meaning to say, let's say you don't have a Torah book with you, and the, the example he gave is, let's say you're waiting for the bus, and you're just sitting there and you don't have anything to learn. And you say, oh God, I, I wish I had something to learn. So, so based on that, he said something very, very deep. It made a big impression on me. And I've seen this work in my own life, in, in my own life many, many, many times. And that is, Rav Shlomo said in the name of Rebbe Nachman, there's a Torah below and a Torah above. And when you don't have access to the Torah below meaning if you don't have a book with you, Hashem, and, and you want to learn, Hashem teaches you from the Torah above. And so, so what's very deep about that is that you're actually able to, through your yearning, to learn. In other words, it's not just like you have a book and, okay, I'll read the book, see what the Torah says. No, it's because you want to learn so badly, Hashem opens up gates and you're actually able to access an even higher dimension of learning. Now, that's not to say that you can't, oh, well, then if I know that, then I'll never carry a book with me. No, that, that would be, that's the road to ignorance. No, the, the idea is that it's showing you that the level of yearning and desire opens gates. And this is one application of that. So that's very, very important. And then sometimes just, just, just praying to God to teach you this, something, you can open those gates. Okay. So now, um, so let's get back to this. So this, this uh, teaching comes from, uh, from the Gomorrah, from Abodah Zorah, Daf Hey Amud Beis, 5B. And um, it's, it's actually very, very surprising. Oh, wait a second. I think I'm on the wrong page here. Yeah. Let's see. Wow. What happened? We just had it. Okay. So. Okay. Sorry about that. It's actually uh, it's actually five A. Um, and it, it goes like this. It says that um, the rabbis taught in Abraisa that Hashem said to the Jewish people, who can assure that this heart should remain theirs? Meaning, 
to fear me and observe all of my commandments all of the days. So, let's just translate that into conversational English. Hashem looked at the Jewish people while we were at the desert at a certain point in our, in our history, and God said, you know, the way your heart is right now, this is fantastic. I love where you're holding, so to speak. You're in a fantastic place right now. Now, here's the question, God says. Who is going to guarantee me that you're going to stay like this? So, so it's an interesting question. And I actually was going over this with the, the Hebra Shabbos morning, and I opened it up to the people there. I said, so how would you answer this? If God said to you, who's going to guarantee that your heart should stay in this beautiful place? What would you answer? So pretty much everyone answered the same thing, which is that I, I will guarantee it. I have to take personal responsibility for my own spirituality. And the truth is, that's a, that's a very, very strong answer. It's a very good answer. In fact, there's even a support for it, which is that it says that everything is in the hands of heaven, except the fear of heaven, the awe of heaven. Meaning to say that God pretty much, God runs the world, but what's up to you is whether you want to be righteous or not. That's in your hands. The outside circumstances are more in God's hands. In other words, a lot of times the results are up to God, but the effort is up to us. So if that's the case, if God is saying, who's going to guarantee that your heart should remain like this, then the proper answer would be, that's, that's me, that's my responsibility. So that's the wrong answer, believe it or not. Very surprisingly, very surprisingly, that turns out to be the wrong answer. So, so the Gomorrah goes on to say, Something very, very strong, and it's surprising because they use very, very strong language. I'm going to show it to you in a moment. Moshe responds back to the, to the Jewish people when we said, we'll take responsibility. He's, he called them ingrates, son of ingrates. Can you imagine? Ingrates. What's an ingrate? An ingrate, now in Torah you should know, an ingrate is like, like that's the bottom level, basically. Someone who doesn't recognize the good, that this is the bottom level. And by the way, it's very hard to recognize the good. It's very, very hard to recognize the good. And I just, let me just go with that for a moment, because I think that this is really the human condition. You see, you have something, I'm going to use a fancy term right now, which is called negative space. And I'm not talking about negative space like, oh, I'm in a bad mood. I'm in a negative place. Like, people might use that expression, I'm in a negative space. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you have an object, and then you have the area around an object. The area around an object is called negative space. It's more of a scientific term. So, if I'm holding this right now, this would be the space. And this would be the negative space, the area around it. And um, artists like sculptors use this, that when they're crafting a, a piece of art, they're not just making a thing of beauty in itself, but part of the experience is for you to see how the space around it is shaped. Now, this gets, when you apply this to Torah study, the idea of negative space becomes very, very deep. Because... 
you understand that something is two things, at least simultaneously. It's the thing that it is, and it's all the things that it isn't. Now, when you begin to focus on this, your mind begins to really expand. You see, you see, the Torah is so deep, because it's not just that every verse or every Pusik has a deep thought behind it, or that the Torah itself has a deep thought behind it. It's that every single letter of the Torah is a Chiddush. Why is every single letter of the Torah a brand new, mind-blowing concept? Because every single letter could have been any other letter. So not only is it an Aleph, but it's also not a Bez, not a Gimel, not a Dalit. So every single letter is a Chiddush in the Torah. All the more so, every single word is a Chiddush, because a new mind-blowing concept, because God could have used any other word instead of that word. So now the mind begins to expand with this concept of what negative space is. Now, Parsha Spishalach, where we're in right now, Parsha Spishalach starts off in, in, a very, in a very fundamental way. It says that God took us out of Egypt in a really windy way. Now, why did he take us in the windy way? Meaning, not the straight path, not the shortest path, not the easiest path. And the answer is, because if we had gone in the short, easy way, we would have hit the Plishtim, which were a warlike people who would have attacked us, and then we would have wanted to go back to Egypt. Alright, now that sounds all well and good when you know the explanation. But what if you don't know the explanation, and you're leaving Egypt after hundred years, hundreds of years of slavery, and now you're going in a really windy, ununderstandable way, incomprehensible way. You say, God, why are you doing this to me? Didn't I work hard enough? Now I'm going in a way I don't even understand. Okay, but what's the point? The point is, is that if we had gone in another way, this is the negative space. In other words, things are, let's repeat the idea so everyone's following, things are not just what they are, but they're also all the things that they aren't. But, and here's the rub, hopefully you're, we're, we're making sense and you're following me, people aren't aware of how much worse things can be all of the time. They're only aware of the difficulty that they're experiencing. They're not acquainted with what the negative space is. They're not acquainted with all of the other things that God is saving them from at that moment. They're just focused on their own troubles. Now, you know what that's called? It's called being a human being. <laughs> you know what that's called? It's called being normal. But we've got to work not to be victim to our own humanity. So, so we're called ingrates, the son of ingrates. Because why? Because we took responsibility for our own spirituality? That doesn't make any sense. And again, I have to stress, we have to take responsibility 
for her own spirituality. So then what was the problem? What was the proper answer that we should have said to God when he said to us, who is going to guarantee me that your heart is going to stay in this beautiful, wonderful, holy place right now? And the Gemara says that what we should have said was, God, you guarantee it. God, you guarantee me that I'm going to stay in this holy, beautiful place. All right, now, this is, this we have to explore. What does this mean? What does this mean? So I, I, I just want to speak from a personal level, what it means to me, how I understand it. And again, this gets to the root of the human condition and to the root of Torah and how we have to live our lives. So it's very, very fundamental. You see, there's a great paradox, or maybe the word is irony, but any way you try to define it, the bottom line is it's heartbreaking and it's miserable. And what is that? The fact that oftentimes the more religious a person come, becomes, the more distant they feel from God. And it's very hard to wrap one's mind about how this could ever happen. That a person should actually become more religious and yet somehow feel more distant from God. How can that be? How can that be that a disconnect should exist between these two things? How can it be? And what I'd like to suggest is that the, the point of disconnection comes from when one turns their service of God and their relationship with God into a relationship with their own self. When they leave the relationship between them and God as an active, dynamic partner in their life who they're relating to as, as the other, right? In, in the best sense of the word, right? That it's a partnership and it's a marriage and it's this intimate relationship and it just becomes one's own conversation with their own thoughts. You see, God says to us, who is going to guarantee to, to me that, that you're going to stay in this holy, beautiful place, that your heart is going to be pure like it is right now? And we said, I'll be the guarantee. And God says, Mazel tov, I hope that you're happy with yourself. I hope that you and you have a very nice life together. So what's the alternative? What should we have said? You, God. You, God, you guarantee me. Which takes us out of our own heads. Which puts us in an active relationship with God. That's the point. That's what we have to strive for. You know, one of my favorite stories, I'm sure you know it, I heard it in the name of the young Chedush Arim, the first Gera Rebbe. He, he was a child prodigy, a child genius, and an older rabbi, when he was still a child, came up to him and said, I'll give you one ruble or kopeck, whatever it was, if you can tell me where God is. And he said back to him, I'll give you two kopecks if you can tell me where God isn't. Right? So that story made a big impression on me. Because I, everybody knows, you laughed, everyone knows that the young child got the better of the older rabbi, right? But the question is why? 
what, what, let's, let's like a- analyze what happened there in terms of that back and forth to figure out why he got the better of him. Because the first rabbi, when he said, tell me where God is, he wanted him to answer, God is everywhere. Right? But what's the problem with that? And again, we're, we're addressing this Gomorrah still. This problem of turning your relationship with God into a relationship with your own self by somehow, as you become more involved in, in Torah and more involved with religion, somehow kicking God out. Yeah, God, no, you wait over there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, really, I'm, I'm too busy being religious right now. You know what? Because if you say God is everywhere, there's a problem with that. The world and God is infinite. It goes on and 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 never stops. How can you hold it in your head? You can't hold it in your head. So what do you do? You make it small. Ah, so all of a sudden we're making God so small. We're making God so small. Because our finite minds can't hold the infinity of God. It can't. It cannot. It cannot. So we make God so small. And then once we make God small, oh, terrible things happen in terms of our relationship with God. Because we begin to think, well, you can't do that, God, right? Because I can't do that, you know? So all of a sudden we start to undermine him in so many different ways. You know, the greatest place to be, and, and Rip Shlomo used to talk about it all the time, he would say, what do we know? What do we know? And once you freed yourself of any preconceptions of what God is able to do, somehow life began to start in earnest in the most fantastic way. You know? Because... If you hear anyone's story, like how they met their husband or how they met their wife, you know, it's like they're trying, they're trying, this isn't working, that isn't working, this isn't working, that isn't working, and then all of a sudden, someone, you know, you're online at Ralph's, and you meet your wife. Or someone says, you know something, I have someone in mind, I don't know, you know, and then you meet them, and then... So, in other words... The way we experience the greatest salvations in our life is it's a time that it works followed by dozens of times it didn't work. You know, there are people, and I'm not criticizing at all, because again, this is normal, it's it's, it's really part of the human condition, But a great mistake is made. People say, you know, I tried this, and I I, I tried it a few times, the concept of truth, the, the idea that maybe there is a real truth in the world. See, one of the things, I'll speak for myself, growing up in a liberal arts, secular, um, westernized, in, in my case, American education, um, is, People are very scared of saying that there's a truth. That's like, really like, if you say that there's a truth, they think, uh-oh, right, I've got to be careful of this guy, 
Because either he's going to try to preach to me, or he'll try to kill me. (laughs) He's going to try to do something very terrible to me. Because the way everyone gets along is to say, you're right, and you're right, and you're right, and you're right. And if everyone can be right, then everyone will get along, and no one's going to start killing each other. And you know something? Based on human history, that's not wrong. You know, there's, 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 certainly, there's certainly reason to want to go down that path. But, what if there actually is a truth? And what if part of that truth is, if someone disagrees with you, don't kill them! Don't mess them up! Don't yell at them! Don't make them feel terrible! So, that as we understand it, is the case. That is Torah. We say that there is a unifying idea behind everything. That's God. That's the truth. Torah emet, the truth of the Torah. It informs everything. That there is a, there is a structure to the universe that informs absolutely everything. Th- that is what we'll call the truth. Right? You know... As an example of this, one of the things that, actually I don't hear it as much lately, but, but people still use it, um, people talk about how that's so random, everything's so random, right? And the thing is, is that if everything were fundamentally really random, then these glasses that I'm holding in my hand right now, if everything were really random, would turn into a hot dog, right? And then it would turn into a... a uh, an apple tree, and then it would turn into, like, the late Babe Ruth, and then it would turn into, like, the sky, and then it would turn into, like, a bunch of molecules that have no recognizable shape or form, and then just keep evolving into other conglomerations of molecules that you'll never, ever recognize as anything ever. Right? That's real randomness. The world is not random. The world is mysterious. Very big difference. Very, very, very big difference. And you know what? Mysterious is okay with me. Because you know what that means? That means that God knows more than I ever will. And you know what? If God's going to be God, He better know more than I ever will. Because that's why He's God. You know, one of the... One of the great things, uh, there's a movie, um, uh, Bruce Almighty, is that, is that the name of it? Where, where uh, Jim Carrey, right, becomes God. And, and, so, and, and he wants, you know, everyone's writing to him at one point, And um, he, all these poor people, and they all want to win the lottery. So he blesses them that they should all win the lottery. But the problem is, is that they all win the lottery the same week. And so, you know, the, they basically all get like $8. <laughs> and they're incredibly angry, you know. Like, that's, I won the lottery, that's all I got, eight bucks, you know, because he wants you to give it to everyone. And then at another point, he wants to go and pull the moon or whatever it is close so that everyone should see it. It should be so beautiful, you know. And basically, he throws off all of the orbital patterns of everything and creates all sorts of chaos, you know. So, so the idea that God knows more than us that, that's what we want, you know? You know, two quick stories, two favorites. A rabbi was once talking with someone who, who was very upset and said, um, you know, 
I don't believe in God for this reason, and I don't believe in God for that reason, and I don't believe in God in this reason. And the, the Rebbe said, you know something? I also don't believe in God. And the person was, like, amazed. You know, he's talking to the Rebbe. You don't believe in God? And he says, yes, the God that you don't believe in, I also don't believe in. Right? So because... And then a sort of a companion story to that, which is someone said to another Rebbe, I, I have this problem, and I have this problem, and I have this problem. And each time the Rebbe said back to the person, oh, if only I were God, if only I were God. After each problem, if only I were God. And the person said, so new, if you were God, what would you do? And he said, the same thing. Who knows better than God? <laughs> So, so, so this is the problem, you know. The problem is, is that, is that on the one hand, we, we struggle because we're aware of all of the troubles that we have, but we're not acquainted with what all the other alternatives are. And God is often saving us in the most amazing way and we're not, we're not aware of it. You know, they give a, an example in, in Hallel, which is, you know, the, the great sort of psalms of praise that we say on the holidays. Um, in Hallel, there's a line that says, all of the nations praise God. So one of the rabbis, I guess this was in a period of heightened anti-Semitism and attacks against the Jews, he said, um, he answered this question, why does it say all the nations praise God? Because, you know, this is really focused on that the Jewish people have to recognize God and praise Him. So why is it saying the nations have to praise God? So he gives an example of a person who walks a certain way to work every single morning. Every single day he walks the same way to work. So an enemy wants to attack him. So what does he do? He digs a big pit on that way that he always walks every single day, and he covers it with leaves and branches, so that he's going to walk that way. He's going to fall and he's going to be trapped in this prison, right, that he's dug out for him. So what happens that day? The person walks a different way. Right? He just got into his head. God put it in his head to walk a different way. So he never even knew what had been planned for him. But the person who wanted to trap him, he knew what was planned for him, and he knew how God saved him. So with us in our own lives, so often, we don't realize what the alternative is. I mean, sometimes we're in jail, or sometimes we're in a, a program that we don't want to be in. But if the alternative is that we would be six feet under, dead and buried, and we're acquainted with the fact that this is a salvation, oh my goodness. You know, famous story also. Someone said, they're eating crumbs, and they're saying, Oi, you know, I can't believe it, I'm eating crumbs. This is so hard. I have it the hardest. And then they turn around and they see there's someone eating their crumbs. <laughs> right? So, focusing on what we have and also being acquainted with all the things that aren't happening to us. And it might sound like you're playing games. You know, I am so happy I don't have a broken leg today. But you know what? I really am so happy I don't have a broken leg today. I really am. I really am. 
You know, it's, it's, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. And it's something that's very, very, very real. You know, we'll find out one day all of the things that we were saved from in our own lives. We'll find out one day. And then we'll say to ourselves, why, why did I have that attitude? Why did I have that attitude? So you see, the job of a person, and on a deeper level, on sort of a Kabbalistic level now, the human being is compared to the letter Vav. Now if you want to imagine the arrangement of Hashem's name, the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He, the bottom He always stands for this world, for Malchus. And then the Vav is like a human being connecting this world to the upper worlds. So a person has to make those connections. You have to make the connection because Vav is the letter of connection. In Hebrew it means and. Okay? You have to make that connection. Not just from what's happening in my life, but what could be happening and isn't. That's to be above. You see, you see, the, the, the breakthrough mentality that we have to have if we're going to live productive lives and if we're going to realize the fullness of our own potential and humanity is we must be in a state of active. We have to be what they call in the corporate world proactive. Our consciousness must be proactive. And everything around us in contemporary society tries to undermine that. Because we live right now in a service economy where everything is arranged for us not to do work and not to be stressed out and to have every single luxury, you know, around us. But you have to understand that everything is being geared to place us in a place of inactivity to avoid, quote-unquote, unnecessary effort. And many of these things really, really do help us and are great time savers. You know, the washing machine, for goodness sakes. I mean, what's, what's better than the washing machine, right? I mean, can you imagine, like, in this day and age, people with their, you know, yeah, like, oh my goodness, you know? But, but at the same time is that there have been a lot of casualties to this type of service economy. That we think that being actively involved in thinking what, what could be and isn't, and how blessed I am, and that I'm in a relationship with God, not just with myself and my own thoughts. That there is God there, and that that is my other half. Right? That requires work. That requires activity. And everything around us says, don't do that. Don't do that. But if you don't do that, you're not being the above. You're not being the connection between heaven and earth. You're not being who you were created to be. You're not bringing down light from the next world to this world. You're not completing creation. We have to be actively minded. That's what we were created to be, and that's what the world tries to do. And in America right now, I mean, if you want sort of like a horrific bit of imagery, it's like we're being suffocated with cashmere. You know? 
I mean, what's cashmere? That's the finest, softest material. Okay. So, so listen to what the Gemara says here. Listen to what Tosafos says. Why didn't we ask God to be our guarantee? And now this gets really like, ah, wow, this is like, kind of like a real knife. You ready? We didn't want to be grateful to anyone else. See, if, if God says to us, who is going to guarantee that your heart remains this way? And then we say, you God, you guarantee it. Then we're in a relationship with God and that's, that's what I'm saying we have to be in. That's my understanding. Okay? That, I gave you my, my, my version of this Gomorrah. But listen to what Tosfos says, and Tosfos obviously is Tosfos. Tosfos says, the reason why we didn't say to God, you be the guarantee, is because if we did that, then we'd have to be grateful to God. And we didn't want to be grateful to anyone else. And that's why we were ingrates. We were the opposite of grateful. Because you know what it means to be grateful to someone else? That means it's sort of like, you got it right. You got it right. I need you. I need you. And people, people don't want to need anybody. People don't want to need anybody. They feel less if they need someone. If I need you, then all of a sudden I'm very, very vulnerable. Or if I need you, then I'm pathetic. Right? Because why should I need anybody? But you know something? It's a natural, normal state to need other people. And how much more so to need God. And we shouldn't be uncomfortable with that notion. We should accept the fact that we need God. And we need other people. That's normal. That's not something to be embarrassed about or humiliated about. You know, Rabbi Shlomo said that when you put a child to, to, to bed, you should say to them, and we can say this to ourselves too, too, I love you and I need you and Hashem loves you and Hashem needs you and you're beautiful. Right? Like this idea that you tell a child, I need you. I mean, no one told me that when I was growing up. I need you. I love you, I heard. I love you. And that was good. I'm glad I heard that, believe me. But I need you? I didn't hear that, really. And God needs me? I thought God was God because God didn't need me. Right? (laughs) But God needs me? Well, I guess if He created me, right? So, so then you matter. And I heard in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know what the meaning of a birthday is? You know what your birthday is? That's God telling you that you matter. <laughs> right? Isn't that great? You matter. If you're needed, you matter. You know, I had the opportunity to daven at a minion uh, here, actually couple rooms over. And what's so great about that minion is that you're often the tenth man. 
often, almost every day you're the tenth man. And without you, then they haven't got a minion. So, you know, it's nice. The truth is, is that ideally it's nice to daven in a, in a place with lots and lots of people. That's, that's considered better because then that's greater praise for the king when there are big throngs of people. That's considered better. However, you know, the difference between nine and ten is, is a big difference, you know. So, everyone has to feel needed. And you know something? You know how essential it is? The very first words that we're supposed to say in the morning is, Moda'ani. We thank God. And the last part of that phrase is Raba Emunasecha. How great is your faith? But the question is, whose faith? And so they say, God's faith in us. That we begin the day by saying, God believes in me. You see, it's one thing to believe in God. Rip Shlomo says this. But it's a whole other level to understand that God believes in you. You know, I don't know why I'm thinking about this right now, but one time I was having like, I had like a, a, a fight with someone and I saw them a few years later and under strange circumstances, I'm thinking, why am I seeing this person? It was also at a time, it was like right around Rosh Hashanah too, and I thought, oh, you know, if I'm seeing this person, let me go and I'll just say I'm, I'm sorry to this person. And it was very hard for me to do, and I walked up to them and I said, I want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And the person said back to me, you don't have anything to be sorry about. And they, they meant it. And then I said, well, then maybe I'm here for you to apologize to. <laughs> And they were very surprised by that. <laughs> and they said, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, I forgive you. <laughs> you know, because there, there was a wound there that did need an apology. I still, I still felt it anyway. You know, everything happens. Everything happens for, for a reason. You know, I'm so proud of Conan O'Brien, I have to tell you. You know, he... They basically backed him into a wall. I don't know if you've been following the story. They, they backed him into a wall and they put him in a situation professionally that he didn't want to be in. And he said, you know what? Thank you very much. I'm not interested. And very, very, very few people do that. And one of the statements that he made, I wish I had it in front of me because I'd like to quote it exactly, but this was, if not the exact word, certainly the spirit of the words. And his last show, when he said goodbye, he said, you know, life doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to work out. Or maybe he said, life doesn't always give you what you think you're going to get. And that really moved me on a number of different levels. Because, you know, we have a very simplistic, and I think, really almost ignorant way of viewing people who are quote-unquote famous or successful or whatever it is. We think they live in la-la land and, you know, you know, birds chirp for them, you know, as they pour coffee and, you know, <laughs> doves flutter, each holding a different side of a warm blanket for them when they walk out of the shower. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's such idiocy, you know? 
You know, oftentimes when a person has a big job, they are being called by this person because there's a crisis. Why do they have a big job? Because they're overseeing so many different things. And the rest of that thought is they're overseeing so many things that are constantly going wrong. But they've got people in place to put out the fires. And they're the ones who are putting out the fires also. So they're really often, almost always, being besieged by different problems that are going on. That's why they have that job. And so they're putting out fires all the time, you know? So the idea that someone at that level, who's reached that level of prominence, and can say, you know, life doesn't always give you what you think you're going to get, you know? If it's true for that person, how much more true is it for us? And so we can't, we can't make as the barometer for our own happiness, did I get what I wanted to get? Because that's really setting ourselves up for failure. And that's really putting ourselves in a place of ongoing lack of appreciation. Ongoing ingratitude. You know what I mean? Hey, I'm starting a new club. It's the Ingratitude Club. I'm giving out lifetime memberships. Anyone interested? They're free. You can be an ingrate forever. Yeah, you know what it comes with? Constant complaining. That's one of the bonuses. That's also free. You get to complain every day, all day. Like, who wants to be a member of that club? I don't want to be a member of that club. But how do we get out of that trap? Well, to be that letter above, to be that connection, which means being in an active, proactive mode where you're appreciating not just what you have, but everything that's not going wrong. Also to understand that even for the most successful people, that they're not necessarily getting what they want to get. You know, the Gomorrah says from thousands of years ago already that, that no person has half of their desires fulfilled. That means that you take the most successful person in the world, he had 100% more things not, that he wasn't able to accomplish that he wanted to accomplish. No one even gets half their desires. And there's another caller, can't say the word, a companion teaching, which is that whatever a person has, they want double. You know, I saw Rabbi Riskin wrote up one time, based on that, something very interesting. He said he was, when he was a, a young boy in Cheder, you know, the, 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 the Rebbe asked the class, who is richer? Someone who has, I don't remember the exact numbers, but who has, someone who has $100 or, or someone who has $50? So it sounds like it must be a trick question, right? And it is a trick question. You would say the person with $100 is richer, right? So he says no, because the Gomorrah says whatever has, someone has, they want double. So the, the person with $100 is missing $100. No, no, one's double, so one's 200. So he's, he's, he's in debt $100. Or $200. The person who's got $50, he's only in debt 50 or $100. <laughs> so, so we put, we make a bar for what we consider our own happiness impossibly high. Not impossible in the sense that if I tried hard, I could get it. 
But impossible in the sense that it's a fiction. It's a fiction. We say, I'll be happy when I reach this fictional level of success. But the whole point is, it's fictional. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You know, they talk about this, the receding horizon. I don't know if you've ever heard that example. If, you, if you're ever on the beach, you see where the water and the sky meet. That's called, that line is called the horizon line. But if you ever want to reach that line, the closer you get to it, the further away it goes. You can't actually arrive at that line. That line doesn't actually exist as a tangible thing. It keeps on moving. The closer you get to it, it keeps on moving. But why does it keep on moving? Is it because God is trying to play a trick on us? No, because that which we can accomplish in this world, the more we accomplish, the more we can accomplish. So God is constantly moving the goal higher for us to reach. Because, because that's the greatness that we have a piece of God inside of us. That means that there's no limit to what we can accomplish. So what's the solution? To be in a state of appreciation. And to not wrap up our happiness into a set of goals that if we don't have them, then we're miserable. A person needs goals. You must have goals. Have goals. But don't make your entire happiness hostage to those goals. You're alive. Okay, we'll stop here.